Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux. Hope you're doing well. How's my audio? I must always ask, as the obsessive OCD audio dude that I am. Good evening, of course. This is um, Wednesday, the 19th of May, 2021. We few, we happy, philosophical few. Hope you are... Sounds fabulous. What you mean to say sounds fabulous. So, hi. How's it going? How's your day? How's your portfolio doing? (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. How's the old portfolio? Wait, I have to do my makeup. Hang on a sec. I have to do my makeup. There we go. Makeup all done. Look at that. Oh, took 20 years off. Easy. So, uh, yeah. How's uh, the... How's everyone's portfolio doing? Do you have a couple of bitcoins? Have you been watching the market? Should I should I even open it? Should I? <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't open it, should I? It's just a form of self-excitement. Uh let's see here. What do we got? BTC C A D. BTC C A D. What do we got? What do we got? Oh, that's gonna leave a mark. So we are down to 47 thousand for a bitcoin canadian what is that us oh 46725 so uh yeah uh, i guess you could say it's had a a wee bit, <laughs> a wee bit of a dip i think it's fair to say is it fair to say yeah i think it's fair to say but you know what it's the way things roll how are you guys doing with it all let's see here i'm out of chips for the dip yeah yeah no kidding eh Ah, uh, please don't make me cry. I still have the same Bitcoin amount as before. Yeah, that's that's fairly true. That's fairly true. I mean, it's very true, right? Please don't make me cry. Don't cry. Don't cry for me, Auntie Tina. Of course, I thought that was. I forgot the lipstick. Hmm. No, don't cry. It's um, it's still way up. And of course, you know, you got to say when it was sitting around 10 or 12K or whatever it was for a long time, if somebody said to you, it's going to be 46, you'd be thrilled, right? So Biden is a one man ransomware. Yes. What is the 24 hour range? Uh, It's been uh, like, what's, oh, what's it been over 24 hours? Uh, Yeah, it's gone down $5,520 Canadian. So, yeah, down. But, you know, there's been double dips of 40% in the same year. So it's just totally fine. Been waiting for this moment to buy in. Hopefully it's a good deal. 36.4 Canadian was the lowest 9 a.m.-ish, and I was at work. Yeah, yeah. More stimulus incoming. Well, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, obviously a lot is uh, going on. It's market manipulation. Yeah, of course. And it's tax season in the U.S., and so... um, you're going to get this this kind of stuff. Um, but but at some point, people are going to figure out that the U.S. economy is like a dead man walking, right? And once people figure that out, then everything will kind of change, right? Uh, that's going to be the way it is. Yeah, you're just washing out the weak hands. So this is, this is the annoying thing, right? Uh, if you want the big market movers to stop deploying the FUD bombs, right? The fear, uncertainty, and doubt bombs. If you want them to stop deploying the FUD bombs, you've got to stop reacting to the FUD bombs. So everyone who's like, oh no, Elon Musk tweeted that there was high energy consumption and people are selling. I've got to sell now. It's like, if you want to cure behavior, you've got to counter signal it, right? So 
um, friend of mine many years ago had a daughter who was a wee bit of a hypochondriac. Uh, in other words, if she wanted something or didn't want something, that would be, ah, my elbow or my stomach hurts or whatever it is, right? So if she was over at some other kid's house and the other kid wasn't doing what she wanted, uh, she'd pretend to fall and it'd be like, ah, oh, you know, like uh, this kind of stuff, right? So people do, kids do that stuff, people do that stuff because it works, right? It just works. And the only way, I mean, if you can't appeal sort of the moral element, and when it comes to a moral Nietzschean will to power profit grabbing in the marketplace, uh, appealing to a moral motive is uh, like asking OPEC to give up petroleum, like it's just not going to work, or, or trying to infiltrate La Raza to get it turned against Hispanic interests, not going to happen, right? So you're not going to be able to appeal to moral interests, so how do you cure behavior or reverse behavior when... There's no moral argument that can be made. Well, you counter-signal, right? So I said to my friend, look, if you wanted to stop doing this, uh, if, you're at, uh, if you're at a play date and your daughter is like, ah, oh, I heard, oh, my stomach, oh, you know, because she's being kind of sucky and, and manipulative because she's not getting what she wants, you just have to make sure that behavior does not get her what she wants. That's all you can do. That's, it's, it's nothing more simple or more complex. You train people out of stuff. So I said, what you got to do is you got to say, Oh, have you hurt yourself? Okay, then um, we're going to say thanks for the play date. Sorry for the early end of the play date, but, you know, you're hurt, so we've got to go home. If it's that bad that you're, you know, complaining and, and stopping playing and all that, then we'll we'll go home. And then she says, no, I don't want to go. It's okay. Well, then is it is it bad enough to go home or is it not so bad that you won't complain about it? Because you've got to have one or the other. If it's bad enough to complain about, then it's bad enough to leave. If it's not bad enough to leave, then don't complain. And within a month or two, that behavior was complete. Most kids, most people, they'll just do what they can. They have about as much morality as, you know, you spill water uh, on, uh, on top of a little hill and it's just going to trickle down and find whatever way it can down. That's the way that water works and people will just try and do what they want. So there are people who are susceptible to the FUD bombs and there are people who are not susceptible to the FUD bombs. And I have no sympathy for those who are susceptible to the FUD bombs. I mean, if you're in it and, and you're too nervous, you should not be in it. If you're too scared, if you're too upset. You know, those of us who've got Bitcoin, yeah, we lost like, what, 50% of our value? Over the last two months, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care at all. Doesn't matter. Because it's the long term. You're going to have... What is it, 30% of Americans going to get thousands and thousands of dollars in stimmy checks every month going forward? And they have found, oh, FUD bomb, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, when there's just a bunch of tweets from prominent people and, you know, Elon Musk and, and all these prominent people, oh, I got reservations about Bitcoin, I don't know. And people are like, oh, if the smartest African-American is frightened of <laughs> whatever, right, then and they sell. It's like, okay, well, then sell. I mean, God. I don't know what to, uh, yeah, still up 300%. You know, there was a study that came out not too long ago. They ranked uh, Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN. And compared, like, they asked people statements of general knowledge about the world, where there are actual factual answers. And they found that Fox News was the highest. The Fox News people were the most informed. 
And that may not just be because of Fox News, but because if you only watch leftist media, well, everything is leftist. So you've got no exception to the rule. If you watch Fox News and you're on Twitter or you're just on the regular news channels, you get the leftist stuff from Twitter and the regular news channels. And then you also get the right stuff from Fox News, which is going to give you some perspective or some range of, of thought, right? And so Fox News was the highest, uh, MSNBC viewers were the next highest in terms of general accurate knowledge, and CNN viewers, like, the lowest, and I think significantly. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. The funny thing is that you got, you've got people who didn't watch the news at all. So people who didn't watch the news at all. So the Fox viewers were higher in information, accurate information, than people who didn't watch the news at all. But people who watched MSNBC and CNN were actually lower in terms of knowledge than people who didn't watch the news at all. So, yeah, I mean, there's all... Bitcoin has no fundamentals. Uh, Bitcoin is no physical thing. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's tulips. It's this. Okay, well, if that scares you, please sell and get out. There's no point training soldiers who dump their weapons in a battlefield the moment there's a sniper fire. Like, there's just no point at all. It's, it's worse. You, you, you're actually in the way of people who are going to stay and hold. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tragic. And, you know, I mean, I think it's a very strong case to be made that the mainstream media as a whole uh, drives mental illness. Like, people are terrified. They're terrified of coronavirus. They're terrified of Russian infiltration. They're terrified of ransomware. They're terrified that the air is trying to kill them through global warming, that the world is going to descend into a flaming ball of muck in 10 years. They're just terrified. They're driving people to mental illness. And then once they've implanted that fear, you have to keep going back and checking it, right? <gasps> any, any new word on global warming? Uh, I've got this fear. Is there anything that, that's going to come along that's going to help me feel better? Oh, no, I feel worse. Oh, my God. Okay, well, now I feel really bad. I've got to check in the morning to see if there's anything. Man. You know, fear hasn't sold this much uh, money since hell was abolished. Steph should make a meme of himself with a Bitcoin yelling, Hold! <laughs> oh, is the audio out of sync? Oh, shoot, I forgot to change that setting. Should I fix that? I think there's a... If this conversation is about Bitcoin, may I ask how this relates to inflation? Thank you. Uh, no, because that's too open-ended a question. Sorry. Monero, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Can there be two dumber people than Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo? Uh, the people who watch them? I think it's down to two people, right? Yeah, several le leftists are uninformed beyond belief. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And do you know that... Oh, sync is good. We love you, Steph. I love you guys back enormously and passionately and at times in certain states either inappropriately or downright illegally. So, Molyneux live. I'll get the lube. There ain't enough lube. Best method for stress management methods when dealing with leftists. Yes, distance and avoidance uh, is the way to go. The Great Ice Age, peak oil, acid rain, ozone layer, bees are dying, global warming. Or with some fear porn to control us. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I thank you, Eli. I know you've had a call and you've mentioned this a bunch of times. Just send call in at, at freedomain.com. Why is inflation unsustainable? Sorry if it's too big a question. Um... Why is inflation unsustainable? Well, it depends what level of inflation. If it's 1%, it's sustainable. If it's 20%, it's not. So 
Canada CPI out today at a 10-year high. Even government can't hide creeping inflation. Yeah. I'd love to do a show with Razor Fist. Uh, he's great, and he changed my mind about Michael Jackson. So, Love to Steph from Houston, Texas. Thank you. I am your number one fan. Honey? <laughs> inflation in relationship to... Okay, I don't know. Do you want the... Is the rumor true that you took the vax? <laughs> what can I tell you? I, I've made my position very clear on that. Um, I try not to outsource my entire immune system to the government, and I'm not a huge fan of taking experimental gene therapies from people whose general stated goal is depopulation. If you could double your Bitcoin holding by deploying FUD bombs on Twitter, wouldn't you? I would not. No. See, this is the thing. I, I wouldn't, which is why I don't run a hedge fund or any of these financial places, and I'm not Elon Musk. Because I think that there's no way that we win unless almost all of us win. If it's a win-lose scenario, it destabilizes society. What you want to keep focusing on forever and ever and ever is a win-win scenario. You know, if you're in any relationship with anyone, and we're all kind of tied together economically, you're in a relationship with, with someone, you can't win when they lose. Ah, I yelled at my wife and I got my way and, and now we're going to go to see Queen or something like that. It's like, no, you, you haven't won. You've just deferred losing and made it worse. Owen Benjamin accused Steph of taking the vax? Really? No, that's not true. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that for a moment. More info coming out about postponements of elective surgeries in Canada. Twice as many people died waiting for heart surgery as last year. Yeah. Yeah, they say like elective surgery, like it's, uh, I want to get a skin tag removed or I need a nose job or something. But, you know, the, the numbers are pretty clear. Like if you want, if somebody's talking about racism and, and they're woke and so on, it's like, okay, how many people have to fucking die before people give up on the witch hunt hysteria of racism? How many people? Just out of curiosity, right? Because confirmed fucking death count is 3 million people. Confirmed death count of the word racism just over the last year is 3 million people. Because that's the estimate of the lives that would have been saved from COVID if the borders had been closed when I and others were calling for that. We would have saved 3 million lives. But it was racist, you see, to close the borders, according to the World Health Organization and the CDC, all ass-wipe finger puppets of the C uh, Chinese Communist Party. So, yeah, we got 3 million people dead because people are afraid of the word racist. How many women have to die before we give up on the term witches and how many human beings have to die? You know, people get killed by so many words. It's ridiculous. People get killed for the word patriarchy. People get killed for the word racist. People get killed for the word bourgeois under communism. Uh, enemy of the people under fascism. Ah, oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. So... Yeah, 3 million people. And that's not even just, that's a pretty mainstream estimate. Oh, and you should read Nicholas Wade's article on um, the uh, or the lab origin theory. Oh, God, it's not a theory. Of course the damn thing, I mean, of course the damn thing started in a lab. My God. <laughs> Proof beyond a reasonable, we've got to be careful. We've got to be cautious. Oh, yeah, just like everyone was careful and cautious about calling me a white supremacist. So careful, so cautious. Of course it started in a lab. My God. It's got, what, a 98%? They, 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 they're openly working on coronaviruses. They're looking for gain of function. They're funded in part by the U.S. you got Daschle and Fauci involved. Of course, it was 
in a lab and from a lab. You got China's a big ass country, man. Oh, it just happened to emerge right by a lab and some of the lab workers got ill and in 2018 they said the lab had no standards. You know, they're handling this unbelievable, unholy gain of function coronavirus shit with a level two security, which is about the same level of biocontainment and security and safety that you get in the average fucking dentist's office, okay? That's how they were handling these civilization-shredding viruses in the Wuhan lab. Level two, which is a dentist's office. Well, I don't know. Maybe it came from nature. Plus, they destroyed all the evidence and isn't destruction of evidence. Confession of a crime, according to the law? It's really not. Oh, Fauci. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on Fauci. Fauci makes my heart go ouchy. Why is he always half smiling and half grinning? Like, what, what, is, what is this major malfunction? Crazy. Surprised to hear Canada is arresting priests? Why? You got a bunch of uh, amoral, atheist slash God knows what in there, right? Nicholas Wade, W-A-D-E. Uh, how can I stop feeling resentful when I see co-workers buying houses with help from their parents? Um, well, that means they're going to have to take care of their parents when they get older, which is fine, I'm sure, if you love your parents, although it's a battle either way. But you have your um, the second half of your life. You're free. So for the people who had great parents, I envied them when I was younger, but I'm totally free of having to take care of my parents in the second half of my life, which can be 10 or 20 years of pretty hard and ugly and unpleasant labor for people. So um, you can look at the upside. You've got to look at the upside or the downside. Otherwise, it's, it's pure downside. And almost every downside has an upside. Almost every downside has an upside. Okay. Um, I'm going to just give you a minute or two from the Nicholas Wade article because uh, it's really fantastic. I think I had him on the show because he wrote A Troublesome Inheritance. I think he was on my show. Okay. So this was published May 2nd. I'm just going to, I'm not going to read you the whole thing because like a 44 minute read. But, um, yeah, it's uh, uh, so. Uh, and I talked. I did a whole video of this early last year called "The Case Against China." Went through a lot of this stuff, but there's some new stuff here as well. New stuff here as well. So, oh, crazy. So, from early on, public and media perceptions were shaped in favor of the natural emergence scenario by strong statements from two scientific groups. These statements were not, at first, examined as critically as they should have been. We stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin, a group of virologists and others wrote in The Lancet on February 19, 2020, when it was really far too soon for anyone to be sure what had happened. Scientists, quote, overwhelmingly conclude that this coronavirus originated in wildlife, they said, with a stirring rallying call for readers to stand with Chinese colleagues on the front line of fighting the disease. Contrary to the letter writer's assertion, the idea that the virus might have escaped from a lab invoked accident, not conspiracy. It surely needed to be explored, not rejected out of hand. A defining mark of good scientists is that they go to great pains to distinguish between what they know and what they don't know. By this criterion, the signatories of the Lancet letter were behaving as poor scientists. They were assuring the public of facts they could not know for sure were true. Now, you ready for the kill shot? It later turned out 
that the Lancet letter had been organized and drafted by Peter Daszak, president of the Echo Health Alliance of New York. Dr. Daszak's organization funded coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. If the SARS-2 virus had indeed escaped from research he funded, Dr. Daszak would be potentially culpable. This acute conflict of interest was not declared to the Lancet's readers. To the contrary, the letter concluded, we declare no competing interests. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It could be potentially culpable. A second statement, which had enormous influence in shaping public attitudes, was a letter, in other words, an opinion piece, not a scientific article, published on 17th March 2020 in the journal Nature Medicine. Its authors were a group of virologists led by Christian G. Anderson of the Scripps Research Institute. Quote, Our analysis clearly show that SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus, the five virologists declared in the second paragraph of their letter. Unfortunately, this was a, another case of poor science in the sense defined above. True. Some older methods of cutting and pasting viral genomes retain telltale styles of manipulation. But newer methods called no seam or seamless approaches leave no defining marks. Nor do other methods for manipulating viruses such as serial passage, the repeated transfer of viruses from one culture of cells to another. If a virus has been manipulated, whether with a seamless method or by serial passage, there is no way of knowing that this is the case. Dr. Anderson and his colleagues were assuring their readers of something they could not know. So, uh, I'll put a link to this, but uh, you should, nicholasway.medium.com, and the um, title of the article is Origin of COVID, Following the Clues. So, how, how these people are not brought up in war crimes and, and uh, crimes against humanity and declaring a conflict. Oh, we've got no conflict of interest. Well, it's true that I was involved in the funding of this stuff and I would be liable if it was found to be coming from a lab. But hey, we're just jumping on this as good scientists. Plus, did you know, the one thing I didn't know was that the bats where the coronavirus comes, comes was supposed to have come from were actually hibernating that time of year. And of course, the people who got sick from some from the lab had no connection to the wet market, which they said was the source of it through maybe the pangolins. And of course, the wet market was completely disinfected, scrubbed, and all evidence was destroyed. Crazy. Crazy. Are you finding Bitcoin exciting again or prefer to go back to dull and stable? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bat soup story. Yeah. It's all a bunch of disinfo, right? I mean... You got all these people falling over from a virus, all this over social media. Yeah. We... All right. Um, give me some questions. Or if you want, um, I have a tale that will clarify the world. I have a tale that will clarify the world. Is it worth buying joke coins, Dogecoin or other, to try and profit? I can't tell you that. I can't possibly tell you that. Could depend. Oh, and wait, was there a Chinese scientist? Hang on, hang on. Oh. What do we get? 
This just came out here. Uh, I think it was just today. A Chinese scientist. Oh, yeah, here we go. A senior member of the Chinese Communist Party think tank, sorry, <laughs> think tank, a senior member of CCP think tank claims China won unprecedented biological war against the U.S. in 2020 and, quote, put the U.S. back in its place, end quote. He's claimed that China won a biological war against the U.S. in 2020. Isn't that amazing? I, it always amazes me. Like, you can confess stuff and it doesn't matter. If the mainstream media doesn't dislike you, then they'll just cover for you. And if they hate you, they'll just make up stuff about you. Just wild. Fake news today saying China banned Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a bunch of stuff. But you see, if you're already primed for negative news, then... Um, it's like, enough is enough kind of thing, right? Uh, all right, I'm going to... Uh, hit me with a Y if you'd like to hear a relationship story that will clarify things in Bitcoin land for you. Or, or uh, sorry, will clarify things in the current economy for you. You want to understand the current economy by listening to a tale of dating woe from me? Hit me with a Y if you'd like a personal story from my dating life. We're opening up the vault. All right. And I close the door. All right. Give me a, um, just so I can gauge the lovely audience, give me a one to 10. 10 being like full on bunny boiler fatal attraction breakup with stalking and restraining orders. That's your 10. And a one is you just ghosted someone and it never went anywhere. Give me a one to 10 of your worst breakup. Where are you? Give me a one to 10. Who's had a 10? Who's had a 5? Oh, you've had a 10. 10, 1, 6.9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 8, ooh, 7, 0. 11. Oh, I want to hear that story. So we've had a fair spread. Oh, you guys have had some... You guys have had some people who <laughs> jump out of the closet, right? Okay. Oh, you had an 8? Oh, that's a female, right? So I suppose, yeah, this is a spicy story, and uh, you, you might want to get comfortable for this one. I'll, I'll keep it anonymous, right? My door blocked my Wi-Fi. I'm not on Wi-Fi. What am I, some kind of amateur? I got, uh, I got me an Ethernet cable. All right. Um, and give me, give me a 1 to 10, if you don't mind. Give me a 1 to 10, like 1 being, like the worst breakup you had was just kind of like a bit of a drag, but you were kind of okay in a week. And 10 being just like uh, you were uh, sucking a teddy bear, crying over the smell of your girlfriend for six months when you ended it, or boyfriend. Um, so give me a breakup, your worst breakup, 1 to 10. Again, I just want to sort of gauge where we're coming from and how much I need to explain. Oh... We got some cold-hearted people and some very hot-hearted people here. Okay, 69 guy, you need a new joke. Sorry, man. You just you just need a new joke. You got to keep things fresh, man. 100. Oh my gosh. 8 and 2 months of jail time. Okay. Uh, I feel I feel inadequate now. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Okay. 10. Mommy had sex with my first love. 
I say that's a pretty big oof. Oh, that's a pretty big oof. My eight lived with her ex for three months, found out when I went upstairs with her. Oof. Men don't cry? No, no, we don't cry, but we do get sick. All right. So I will tell you the story, and then I will tell you how this helps you understand the economy and Bitcoin and where we are. Okay. Oh, where do I begin? So when I worked up north, sometimes I would spend some time in some towns. And I met a very nice young lady. Uh, I will call her Sally. And Sally and I ended up dating. And, you know, we tried to make this long-distance thing work. It was kind of tough. And it had some potential, but it just never quite caught fire or you know how it is with long distance relationship long distance relationship is like this endless holding pattern you never move forward you don't have enough to break up you've already got this peripheral investment you just get together and you have these romantic weekends but then you're apart for two weeks and everything just kind of falls apart this you know it, it it's just if you if you lived forever maybe you could afford long distance relationship but for the most part they're just a complete hit your life on pause holding pattern and oh it was, uh, I mean, it's good. It's not a bad relationship. We, we didn't fight that much or anything like that. And, and we got along pretty well. And she was a, a lot of fun. And um, anyway, so long story short, uh, we broke up. Um, and uh, I, I just got tired of the long distance. I got tired of the long distance. And then... I think a year or two go by, and I'm back working up north again. And wouldn't you know it, the company had rented a house in perpetuity, the company that was, was the base for where we went to go and pan for gold and, and do the claim staking and all of that. And I, I found myself back, and this is completely unforeseen for me, absolutely unforeseen for me. I found myself back in the same little room, sleeping that I had slept in a couple of years previously. And it was the room we had first, I think, kissed or held hands or something like that, right? And out of nowhere, I've had this a couple of times in my life, like just that boom, just a completely unexpected emotion just comes absolutely out of nowhere and just knocks you over. You guys had that? You're not expecting it. You don't anticipate it. Suddenly I was sitting in the same room and I was just like, oh. <gasps> I made a mistake. I missed her. <laughs> I, I, I need to, I gotta get her back. And it just, again, unexpected. Hadn't really thought of her for a while, sitting on the same bed and just like, boom. Boom. I was just like, oh, I've made the worst mistake. I've got to get her back. It's gonna, right? I've had this a couple of times. Once uh, I was traveling platonically with a girl through Belize and Guatemala and uh, El Salvador and wait, El Salvador? No, Mexico, Belize, Guatemala. And she went to go to Chichen Itza, which I'd already been to. And I just had a day to kill in a town. So she dropped me off in the town. It was a little town in the middle of nowhere. And I was just walking around the town. There was nothing to do. And so I decided to climb a um, wall where there was a resort. 
and I snuck into the resort and I sat on a hammock. And this is back in the day. I think I had a 128 megabyte audio player. So I listened to Colin James' Five Long Years and uh, Queen's uh, It's Late, a couple other songs that I liked, Eminence Front. But, you know, you can only listen to that stuff so much. And I lay on this hammock and I kind of half dozed and there was this slop slop of a little bit of uh, water on the pool and uh, there's a little bit of rain. Then it got warmer again. I was just kind of half dozing and hit a state of almost complete relaxation. As you can imagine, I'm, I'm wound a little tight. <laughs> so for me to relax is uh, not, not always the easiest thing in the known universe. But this was a time. And I was just lying in this hammock. I wasn't thinking of anything in particular. And then just, oh, my God. I was just like, this primary relationship I have. It wasn't a dating relationship. It was another relationship. This primary relationship I have, got to go. And this thought just absolutely came out of nowhere and completely changed my life. Makes you a little jumpy, right? Like I had barely thought of this girl that I dated. It was not a great relationship. It wasn't a bad relationship. It was, you know, six or seven out of ten, which, you know, I wanted more. And I'm just sitting on the bed. And I must have been 23 or so. I think I dated from like 19 to 20 or something like that. Oh, no, I was working up north when I was 18. Anyway, so, no, 19, because I met her a little later. So, not thinking. And then suddenly, it was like like a horse kick from an invisible horse to the head, or to the heart in this case. And it was like, <gasps> got to get her back. Got to get her back. She's the one for me. <laughs> You know, this kind of thing. Woohoo! She's not the one for me. She is the one for me. So, I won't get into all the details, but I worked pretty hard to try and get her back. I wrote her poems. I wrote her songs. I, would, I couldn't really call her because it was really crazy expensive to call people back then. But I wrote to her, and I uh, had lunch with her sister and kind of made my case and other friends of hers, and I... You know, I wasn't stalky or anything. We, we never, like, saw each other face to face. But I would write to her and, and uh, try and, uh, and, and win her back, right? Try and, try and win her back. And this just kind of went on um, probably for six or seven months. And again, I'm walking up north. I got nothing else, right? And, and so I, and I just, God, I, it was the first time where I had felt really attached to and missing someone. I don't. I don't think I've ever really suffered from loneliness much in my life, but this was just a yearning, oh my God, I've got to have this relationship back and there's no forward path to happiness for me without this and oh my God. And it became a running gag for the other men that I was working with. You're my obsession. So, yeah, there was all of these jokes. Nobody, of course, because they're guys and we were young and they were pretty macho. Nobody gave me the time of day or asked me what the hell was going on. How pretty was she? Um, It was not looks. I mean, she was seven. I mean, she was pretty athletic, but it was not. um, It was not that. She did have a sweetness to her. Uh, but um, I just yearned, and and like hard to sleep yearning, constant twenty four seven yearning, just yearning 
Oh my God. And I, you know, I, I thought it was, it was touch and go for a bit. I was, I was close to, to getting her back. I could, I could feel it. She was drifting back, you know, trying to feed a squirrel. <laughs> come on, come on. No, no, you guys got to forget the physical stuff. Just try and listen to the story, right? I did get to meet her parents. Um, yeah, just try and listen to the story. I know it's an avenue to make jokes, and I get that. But it's an important story, not for me, but for you in terms of understanding the world. So, so uh, the question, so, and, and eventually she decided against me, which I don't fault her for. I think she made the right decision. But I, no, no, I'm telling you, it was not a looks thing. It was not a looks thing. Again, she was pretty, but um, I was more handsome than she was pretty. So eventually uh, I, I sent her a poem and a card and I, you know, I was still like, want to make this happen. And she wrote me back, wrote, she wrote me back and she said, um, you know, best wishes, but I've decided I'm not going to go forward with uh, any reconciliation, any sort of getting back together. And, you know, pretty rough. Pretty rough, but again, it's band-aid off, then you can work to heal and, and so on, and, and you move on with your life. But yeah, for those six or seven months, man, I just, oh man, I just wanted, I wanted this woman back. And I, again, it just came out of nowhere for me, just like sitting in that hammock, just like, oh my God, one of my primary relationships has got to end. A lifelong, it's got, it's got to end. And... It took me a long time to figure out what the hell was going on. Because I'll tell you this too. If you've ever, hit, hit me with a why if you've had a breakup and then you've gotten back together. Hit me with a why. Did you lose weight? Well, I lost weight to some degree. No, I didn't lose weight, but it was transferred more to muscle because I was doing physical labor for eight to 10 hours a day. Hard physical labor sometimes, right? So you guys have gotten back together with exes? Now, did it last? Um, yeah, sorry, I, I know because it's going to be confusing. Hit me with a 1 to 10. One, no, hit me minus 1, plus 1. So minus 1 or 1. Minus 1, you got back together and it didn't work out. Plus 1, and you got back together and it did work out. So minus 1, if you did get back together and it didn't work out. Plus 1, if you got back together and it did work out. Just so I can, again, get a sense of where we are in this, uh, in this conversation. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It didn't work out, right? Because what happens is, and I, you know, I had a sense of this, but I couldn't fight it. You know, there's things that you could fight it yourself and things that just roll you over. And this one was, I was like, what? I mean, what if, what if we, we get back together and then in three days I'm like, oh, this is why we broke up. I mean, crazy, right? Yo, no, never got back with anyone. Uh, got back with an ex three times, three different exes. It never worked. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one, but she left me after 15 years of marriage. Oof. Never did, because how could it work out? Well, there's the theory, right? So she, I never again, I, I yearned for her. I never again saw her face to face. And uh, I corresponded with her. Occasionally I'd call um, when I could afford it. And she ended up deciding against getting back together with me. Which, you know, I completely respected. I never contacted her again. And 
I don't disagree with her decision. In hindsight, I'm very happy, of course, with the woman that I married. We've been married almost 20 years, and it's just wonderful. So I'm, I hope that she's happy and, and met her um, person, and it all worked out for her. Um, but it took me a while. Who wants, to, who wants to throw out a theory? If you want, right? Who wants to throw out a theory as to why? Oh, that's definitely happened to me, Steph. Three days later, I was like, shit, I regret this. I break up again and then regret that. I was volatile. Yeah. So why do you guys think that I had this yearning, yearning, yearning? Right? Why? First time in my life, I just desperately wanted someone. Why do you think? My parents taught me that love was magical and things would magically work out. And lo and behold, it didn't. They are divorced. Yeah, love is not magical. Love is philosophical. Because she didn't want you? No. No, because, I mean, I won't sort of sing my praises too much. I could get most of the women that I wanted to ask out. Most of the women would go out with me. Uh, I was a young, athletic, hot-looking thing with great hair. And um, so most of the women that I wanted to go out with, I could get to go out with me. And the ones that didn't, I didn't become obsessed with in this kind of way. Right? I think it was close to an obsession, I think. Uh, loss of connection. Nostalgia. You wanted kids? No, not at that age of my life. Because she had an incredible voice and she made you coffee in the morning? What are you, a Christa Berg song? When I wake up in the morning, she is there. Oh, my God. Oh, that reminds me. I used to listen to that song. Oh, all the love I have inside me is for you. It's a beautiful song by Christa Berg, who is a great singer and songwriter. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, she is there. With a sleepy smile and a long night of windy hair. And when I hold her close beside me, well, it feels so good. And I like to stay here all day long and I wish that I could. Anyway, it's a lovely little song about uh, an easy and peaceful and happy relationship. And I would listen to that song. <laughs> this could be me. Loneliness? No, it wasn't. Mom void? Ah, not quite. You want what you can't have? Ah. Then I'd be stalking uh, Twitter and <laughs> YouTube, right? That's funny, eh? I really, really strongly defended YouTube after that shooter went in there, and that's what they did. Because you were an actual human being. Yeah. Uh, companionship? She was like your mom in some way. No, she wasn't, actually. No, she wasn't too much. I don't think sex, no, because you had codependency issues due to your mother. You had an image in your head from when you were together while dating. She was a challenge. Eh, lots of things were a challenge. Doesn't mean that uh, a brain tumor. <laughs> brain tumor. You were good at singing. Oh, thanks. I'm no Christa Berg, but I can, uh, I can hold an occasional tune. Okay, so um, I will tell you what I think, what I think it was. So in order to love, you need... Two things. You need bonding and fearlessness, right, that, that to love. So you need to have the capacity to bond, but if your capacity to bond is mixed in with fear, with anxiety, then you'll do this push-me-pull-me, come-here-go-away, borderline, uppy-downy stuff forever. So you oh, I need you so much. But if that need is mixed in with fear, that you're going to be left, that she's going to go crazy, that things aren't going to go work out, that you're going to be dragged in front of the court, that she's going to be a bad mom, that she's going to cheat on you. If your need and attachment to someone is mixed in with fear, then you can't love. 
at least not in any kind of consistent way, then you'll get together. But the closer you get and the more dependent you get and the more in love with someone you get, the more anxious and volatile and distracted and nervous and emotionally unavailable and paranoid you will become. So I think this was an inoculation for me so that I could go through the worst fear, which is to really desperately want someone and be rejected and survive. And that inoculation helped me a lot. Because if you really need and express your need and want and express your want and try and win someone top to bottom, back to front, every jewel of energy that you possess working to try and get someone back and then they reject you, well, you've just had your worst fear confirmed that the one person that your heart tells you is the only person who can make you happy in the future and blah, 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 they just say no. And then you get knocked down, you curl into a ball, you howl, you write more poetry, and then you you get back up, you dust yourself off, and you go back out into the world. And from that moment on, or from that time on, I could attach without the paranoia, right? Because for, when I grew up, growing up with a crazy, violent, like literally crazy, like institutionalized, violent mother, the attachment was always associated with fear that she could turn on me, that she could become violent or beat me up or whatever. So the attachment and the fear, you got to attach because they're your parents, right? You got to attach somehow because you won't survive otherwise. But the attachment and the fear were kind of commingled. So I think with this one, I was driven to express that need, to express that desire, to express that attachment and to desire that attachment. And then the rejection cured me of the fear of rejection. I hope that makes some kind of sense. You're describing my son's last relationship. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Um, oof, been there. You had fear, uncertainty, and doubt, so you cashed out of the relationship. No, no. That's. I mean, I get your, um, you're talking about the earlier stuff with uh, Bitcoin, but that's not it, right? Uh, how do you remedy that? Well, you just express your desires and your needs, and you accept that rejection is going to happen. I mean, if your partner doesn't reject you, mortality will. My wife is going to die before me, or more likely I'm going to die before my wife. So mortality, simply being a being that lives and dies, you're going to get your heart broken by time or will. There's no escape from heartbreak unless you both die at the same time, I suppose, in which case the heartbreak transfers to your kids. Fear in a relationship is always real. No. No, see, that's what I thought, but it's not. It's not. I don't have fear in my relationship with my wife. I don't. I don't. So, how long did it take to understand this in retrospect? No, I didn't. It took me years. It took me years to figure out what the hell was going on. Was that your unconscious doing that? Oh, my relationship with my unconscious is a whole other show. It's a whole other show. I have an entire planet down there that half the time I think is trying to screw me up. It's actually trying to help me. And half the time I think it's helping me. Uh, it's actually... Uh, uh, does your wife hear these stories too? Yeah, I mean, we don't have any particular secrets about this. See, the reason that I was censored off so many social media platforms and payment processors is because... I represented something unacceptable in the personalities of the people who censored me. It's, it's not me. 
it's a part of themselves that they have pre-attacked and prejudged as evil, as worthless, as negative, right? And so when I said the things that they have damned in themselves, there was a battle. And the parts of themselves, the disowned parts of themselves, the parts that they had attacked and rejected in themselves, found in me an external ally and were beginning to surmount the walls of defenses to give a more rounded perspective on existence. And so the parts they had rejected and tried to destroy within themselves found in my external voice an ally and were joining with me to try and overthrow the tyranny of sophistry, superstition, and propaganda. A three-dimensional view was hoving into their mind's eye with me as an ally to their damned and excluded empirical selves. But you see, they couldn't allow their damned and disowned inner self to have any kind of ally in the outside world. It wasn't what I said that bothered them. It's what I said that they agreed with. But it was unacceptable for them to agree with it. So they couldn't confront themselves, so they had to ban me. It's not about anything out there in the world except before it's within the self. It's within the identity. So for me, that's why I call it the Miko system. It's you, but you're a multiplicity of thoughts, perspectives, books you've read, people you've met, people you were parented by, priests and thinkers who influenced you, YouTube videos, anything. We are a multiplicity. We have about as much unity in ourselves as a fly's eye has one single eyeball. It's just not how we work, and that's great. There's a reason why novelists can write books with so many different characters, because we are a town, we are a city, we are a world within. A world within. And everyone gets a seat at the table. Everyone gets a seat at the table of the self. My mother, who I have no contact with in my life and have not for a quarter century, my inner mother gets a seat at the table, a prominent seat at the table. Because my inner mother is not there to hurt me. My inner mother was created to protect me from my outer mother. Because my outer mother was violent, therefore my inner mother had to really scan her and prevent me from acting in ways that could have got me killed. Because when I was in charge, I was about the age of four, and my mother had beaten the crap out of me, and I decided to run away at four. And I snuck into the kitchen, and I opened very carefully a tin of biscuits. And I put biscuits into a pillowcase, along with a couple of pieces of bread. And I decided to go out into the night alone. Not a good plan. Not a, not a good plan, to put it mildly, right? Who knows who the hell was out there, right? And my mother caught me. She heard me. The door creaked. And she grabbed me by the shoulders and pounded my head against the door to the point I was about to lose consciousness, and I just very much went limp. My unconscious was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, you doing things not working. It's going to get us killed. And I could have died from that. And I went limp to signal complete submission and then had to 
fight my way forward from there. So my inner mother, if I thought about running away, my inner mother would make me terrified. Why? Because if I actually tried to run away, my real mother would come and might kill me, right? And I'm not kidding about that. Like, you, you cannot be beating kids' heads against a door when they're four or anytime, anyone. So my inner mother is there to warn me of dangerous people who could kill me. And she helped me a lot with the deplatforming. I'll tell you that straight. I'll tell you that straight up. Straight up. So everybody gets a seat at the table. My inner father gets a seat at the table. My inner siblings get a seat at the table. Everybody gets a seat at the table in my inner councils. Even if I find something repellent or gross or, or, or nasty or ugly or, or bad, that's the person you've got to invite in the most. Because if you exclude them, you're missing vision. You're like driving with one eye. You experienced a very similar beating. Yeah, there's the beating, like there's the spankings and stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's bad, but it's not going to kill you. But like having your head dong, dong, dong against a big, heavy apartment door, that shit will kill you or give you brain damage. And, or tinnitus for that matter. So, to carve off part of yourself and say, well, this part is bad, and, and, and I can't accept this part of... No, you can't. It's like saying, well, I'll take my left kidney, but not my right kidney. That right kidney is my enemy. Or the fundamental question when you're a kid, why does it have to hurt? I remember when I was a kid, I was in Africa by the age of six, and I was hiking with my dad, and I... S no, I'm so sorry. My dad was in Ireland. I was even younger than this. My dad was in Ireland because he would come to visit his family and I guess me sometimes. And I would take this big churning boat ride at the North Sea across from England to Ireland. Um, this wall of sea green death foam uh, of horribleness. I was not a big fan of the ocean to begin with. And I was out hiking and I was maybe five, four or five years old. And I touched a nettle and I, I, I touched it and it hurt like hell, right? And you sit there and go, well, why? Why does it hurt? Oh, it's so unpleasant, right? And of course, the answer is not that complicated. It hurts, so you stop touching nettles. You know, like if, if you're climbing a tree and you don't, you know, some bee stings your ass and you don't feel it, then you just keep getting stung by bees until you pass out from the poison and then you just fall down and die. So pain is there so that you live. Your pain senses are there to help you, to help keep you alive. Of course, we don't like pain, but we have to love the fact that pain is there because otherwise we wouldn't stay alive, right? So everybody gets a seat at the table. Now, when I rejected my inner mother, I was vulnerable to exploitive women because my inner mother was there to warn me about dangerous women. And if I rejected my inner mother, oh, she's to do with my mother, that's bad. It's like, no, no, no. She's there to protect me from my mother. She's not there to inflict what my mother inflicts upon me. 
She's there to inflict something, an emotional state upon me so the physical state of being beaten doesn't get inflicted upon me. She's there to have me averse to particular behaviors that could get me killed, right? You know, you lean over a cliff and you feel dizzy and sick. That's so you don't fall over the edge of the cliff, obviously, right? So when I was recoiled from and rejecting and distant from my inner mother, I was easy to exploit because my inner mother would be screaming from the cell down at the base of my being, danger, and I'd be like, no, I don't listen to you. You have to do with my mom. Too bad, right? So everybody gets a seat at the table. And if you look at there's self-censorship long before there's censorship out there in the world. People are told, well, you can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. You can't notice these trends. You can't notice these facts. It's wrong. Now, you can't tell the unconscious that. The unconscious is constantly measuring facts and ratios and statistics and so on, right? And you can't scroll through crimes and not notice that there's quite a few black people there. Sorry, that's just a fact. And your conscious mind can say, that's really bad. We can't notice that. That's wrong. And that's why unidentified man, you know, beats up Asian person, right? So you, you can't, but your unconscious doesn't care about that. doesn't care about these little rules that your conscious, it's still recording, 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 right? And then if someone comes along, as I did with my IQ series and, and my um, series of, of uh, interviews with criminologists and so on, and say, okay, well, we have a reason we can all sympathize with as to why certain populations, such as blacks, will commit more crimes on average, right? Some of it is sociological, some of it is environmental, some of it may be genetic, we don't know, but these are some reasons why. Now, your conscious mind can just say, well, that's bad. That's, a, that's wrong thinking. That's bad thinking. Only bad people, evil people, Nazis think that, right? And, and you can tamp down your entire unconscious pattern recognition system. You can if you want. But your pattern recognition system operates independent of your conscious mind, which is why there's PTSD even when soldiers aren't in the war anymore. Because the unconscious pattern recognition is operating outside the restrictions of the conscious mind. And this is why, when you say, this is all the way back to what I was talking about at the beginning. If you say, well, it's racist to close borders with a fucking infected, pandemic-ridden country. It's racist. Does your body recognize that as a standard? Well, if I don't call it the China virus, does that mean I won't get infected? No, it doesn't matter. You're unconscious. The physical world is immune from propaganda. This is why when you're propagandized, reality and truth and people who are honest become your enemy because they provoke parts within you that rebel at their confinement, at their enslavement, at their unjust imprisonment. I unjustly imprisoned my inner mother. Of course, it's a natural reaction. <gasps> she's like my mom. <laughs> Keep her at a distance. No, no, no. She's there to help you. She's there to make sure you don't get married to someone like your mom. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The pattern recognition is there whether you like it or not. We can either discuss it honestly and openly or we can repress all these conversations. Look, come on. This is why I said, of course it came from a fucking lab. Of course it came from a lab. China is one giant fucking country. <laughs> it's a giant country. <gasps> it happened to emerge 400 meters from the only 
biological safety level four lab in the entire country. Oh my gosh, what are the odds? Oh my gosh. And the evidence was covered up and the initial story had no foundation and all the evidence went against it. And the World Health Organization is run by a terrorist, a Marxist, and right? Of course it came from, and, and everybody was looking at it and said, of course it came from a lab. I mean, just think, I think of it as like a trial. Do you have proof? Beyond, you don't need proof. You need proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Destruction of evidence. Really bad safety standards. Definitely working with gain-of-function coronaviruses. Bats are 700 miles away, and it's winter. They're hibernating. None of the first suspects came, had anything to do. None of the first people who got sick with COVID had anything to do with the lab. Just think of that as a court of law. Just think of that as a court of law which is why I said it was the case against China. Just think of that as a court of law. So everybody and their dog was like, yeah, this, whoa, wait, this thing emerged right next to the bioweapons lab? <laughs> of course it came from a lab. And so that's your unconscious. It's like, oh, okay, of course it came from a lab. And then your conscious mind is like, oh my God, it's racist and wrong to think that. It doesn't make the knowledge go away. It doesn't make, it just means that you are now separate from your unconscious and your unconscious is like, oh, hey man, you can lock me up, man. You can throw me in prison all you want. You're just helpless now. And three million if you were going to die, because that's... The so now you only want to hotel your wife. <laughs> that's good. That's very good. <laughs> that's very good. That's very good. It's worth more than Bitcoin. Uh, same with my husband, but with my previous relationship, I was fearful all the time. Yeah, you can't fear and love. You can't. You fear and love are enemies. You can't have fear and love. In the same way that you can't have vanity in love, right? So, let me ask you this too. Let me ask you this, uh, this as well. If you look back on your youth, early dating, I know you guys are probably younger than me as a whole, but... Oh, you say, I'm pretty insecure about my current relationship. I worry about things she's never given me a reason to worry about. Yeah, well, then that has to do with your mom, probably, right? That, that there's this tension. Uh, death sentence meted out by reality if you deny obvious, factual, unconscious data. Come on. Come on. So people, you have questions about, is this why the screaming social justice warriors seem to be unable to process the world outside of how they want it? Okay, so how they want it is a big complicated question. Everybody wants a full and rich processing of reality because the only way that we can stay safe, right? Nobody walks around a, a dangerous jungle with one eye open, right? You gotta, like when I was with my father when I was 15 in, in Africa, um, he was writing, he was doing a bunch of work. I got bored. I went out of the little, we were like in a, I don't know what you'd call them, like a, looks like a submarine on wheels. But anyway, it was like a little trailer or camper or something like that. And I went out into the jungle. And what did I do? I put stones pointing how to get back because I don't wander out into the jungle not knowing where the, how the hell I get back. This is long before cell phones or GPS or anything like that. I'm going to get lost in the jungle. That's not good. And I said, I'm going to walk till I see a monkey. <laughs> and then I looked down into a stream and there I was. <laughs> So everybody wants the full and rich and deep appreciation of their own 
existence and of reality. Everybody wants to be at one with themselves and, and not oppose parts of yourself that you can't get rid of. Why would you want to oppose a part of yourself you can't get rid of? I can't get rid of my inner mother, and she's there to help me. She's there to save me. And as long as I reject her, she will escalate within me because she's there to protect me, right? So, you know, if you've got some kid, right, and the kid is walking towards the road, what do you do? You say, hey, 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 stop, right? And, you, and then you run over Stephen King style and you tackle the kid so he doesn't end up in uh, oh, pet cemetery, right? So you escalate until the kid is safe. You, you just get louder and you're more aggressive until you, the kid is safe. And that's your, your inner defenses, the people who are there to defend you, the inner people who are there to defend you against the outer people. They will continue to escalate until you just listen, until you just listen. And that's why there's so much tension when you oppose the part of you that is yelling at you to stay safe, because you have mistaken the scar tissue for the wound or the scar tissue for the knife. So people say, your inner mom is your own mother. No, your inner mother is not your own mother because you can't swallow her up, right, Job style, right? You, you can't swallow up your inner mother. No, your inner mother, let's say you had a bad mom, your dangerous mom, your inner mother is your internalization of the warning signs of assault or death. The warning signs of assault or death death. Now, if you have a predictable mother, right? So let's say uh, you don't finish your food, right? Okay. So your inner mother says, finish your food. Because if you don't finish your food, she could beat you up. Okay. So just finish your food, right? And then you're like, you don't boss me around. Don't tell me what to do. But she's not bossing you around. She's trying to keep you alive. You know, if, if you were in some tropical place with crocodiles and, and you see a crocodile tail waving in the water, you don't go up to the Water's edge. Oh, don't you boss me. It's like, no, I'm trying to keep you alive. You don't get eaten by a, a crocodile. I'm there to help and keep you alive. It's survival mechanism, right? So if you have a predictable mother, then certain behaviors will cause you anxiety because those behaviors have been, in the pattern recognition of your unconscious, been shown to lead to violence. Right? I guarantee you one. I guarantee you one. For my mother, right? My mother's wicked hypochondriac, right? And so if I were to ever even mildly question any of the hypochondriac symbols, uh, uh, symptoms that she felt she had, or maybe it's something else, or maybe it's not so big, or at one point I said, yeah, I accept that you have these endless ailments, but maybe you could at least read a book on stress so you could figure out how to deal with the stress of the... <clears throat> right? So the moment you give my mom agency and responsibility or doubt what she's saying, Violence. Boom. Right up. Straight up escalation. If you're a kid, she'll beat you up. If you're a teenager, she'll scream at you until you want to beat yourself up. And if you're an adult, she'll just blow up until you leave the environment situation, right? There's a reason why I got her out of the house when I, when she, when I was 15 and just made a go of it with roommates and, and work. So my inner mother is the part of me that says, okay, I have now identified these 12 distinct patterns that lead to assaults and possible murder from your mother. So don't do these things, right? And, and don't do these things in an instinctual way, right? So it has to be automated. It has to be instinctual. And then what happens is because you've got a part of yourself that's restricting your behavior in order to keep you alive, by the way, because you've got a part of yourself that is restricting your behavior, it's very easy to confuse that part of yourself saying, don't do this because it's going to get you killed or beaten up or whatever, right? 
So when you feel this anxiety over, ooh, I kind of want to push back against my mom's hypochondria, but I feel this great anxiety about doing it. And then you say, I'm a coward. It's like, no, you're not a coward. (laughs) You're a functioning living organism that doesn't want to die. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. But you, you, you castigate yourself. Oh, a brave person would confront. No. 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 See, I, I can leave a girlfriend, but when I tried to leave my mom, she could have killed me. If I had resisted five seconds more, she probably would have. Because you don't want to find out. Right? You want to find out like how many beatings there are in your mom or how violent she's going to get or whatever, right? So... So we get this part of ourselves which inhibits our behavior. Ooh, I don't want to talk about this. Ooh, I feel, ooh, right? And then we say, oh, I'm a coward, and we insult these parts of ourselves that are trying to keep us alive, right? Like if you're standing on a train track and a fucking train is coming, and you're like, ah, you know, the train maybe is behind you, and eh, you know, the, the horn goes off, right? The, 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 the siren or the, the blare goes off, and you're like, ah, and then you jump off. Are you a coward? No, because the train is going to run you over and kill you. You're not a coward. You're trying to stay alive. Discretion is the better part of valor. Uh, if she said yes, do you think you would still be together? Maybe it was an obsessive crush. Well, see, but this is the question, right? How smart is your unconscious? I wrote a whole book, the central thesis of which is that when we think we're talking to God, we're talking to our unconscious. I'll tell you. So my, my sort of theory, theory of mind based upon some pretty intense experiences over the years and massive amounts of therapy and journaling and dream analysis and all of that, right? So my theory of the mind is that our conscious mind is like a laser. It can burn through stuff. It's incredibly focused, but it doesn't give us much of a wider vision. The unconscious is kind of like moonlight. You've ever ever walked in beautiful moonlight, particularly in the woods? I absolutely love snow, woods, full moon, a walk, because it's a carpet of diamonds. It's a, you're walking on a shimmering cloth of snowy goodness, and the trees are black, the sky is dark blue, the stars twinkle, the moon is shining, your shadow is cast, and it is like a fantastical, gorgeous, wonderful alien planet to walk in that way at the night. Our conscious mind is the synchronon, it is the paragon, it's the meridian of what it is to be human. It's our conscious mind. And yet, our conscious mind is like a tiny hut at the North Pole compared to the size of the planet of our unconscious, our unconscious having developed over literally billions of years to automate our nervous processes, to automate our nervous system processes, to automate our liver and our stomach and our heart. And it has instincts that often go against our conscious mind. And negotiating with the instincts of your unconscious is one of the most challenging and rewarding aspects of life. Because if you treat your unconscious right, it will propel you to unimagined heights. And if you treat it wrong, it will take you down even to the point of destroying you. Because it's way older than we are. It's been around a hell of a lot longer than we have. And it's been around a hell of a lot longer than our conscious. Or he who lives, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. So you've got these instinctual parts of you if you grew up with dysfunctional, destructive, aggressive people. And it could be teachers, could be a priest, could be an uncle, could be any number of people, right? 
you got an uncle who likes to drink too much and he says, get me another beer. And you're like, I think you've had enough. What happens? Right? So you feel anxiety. You say, oh, I'm a coward. It's like, no, you're not a coward. That is so disrespectful to the part of you that's trying to keep you alive. And part of that keeping you alive is not infecting you with the sin of despair. And the degree to which your unconscious is trying to fight off the sin of despair is absolutely enormous, right? So let's say, oh, my uncle was never violent. You know, if he wants another beer and I say, I don't think you should have another beer, he's not going to beat me up. But that's not the only danger you've got. The danger of nihilism is even worse than the danger of death in some ways. And the danger of nihilism is the whole family agrees that Uncle Bob drinks too much. Uncle Bob wants me to get him another beer. I say, you've had seven. I think you've had enough, right? And then Uncle Bob gets kind of belligerent and complains about me. And the entire family is like, okay, well, just go get him the beer. Ugh, you know, and then it's like, oh, my God, I feel such nihilism, such despair, because they all say, you shouldn't drink too much. And Uncle Bob drinks too much. And then the moment I try to limit his drinking, they all come down on me and get angry with me and appease him. And they're supposed to teach me how to live. And these bunch of fucking hypocrites, uh, they can't teach me anything. And they're all, you know, they tell me to be brave and stand up for things that I believe in. And then, you know, that's something that they agree with, like Uncle Bob drinking too much. They won't even fucking stand up to him and say, no, you have had enough. I stand with the kid, right? They're just a bunch of hypocrites and, and weak people. And right, that's despair. What's the point of, of physically surviving if you don't want to get out of bed tomorrow because you're too full of nihilism? So no, your inner mom, if you had an abusive mother or father, right, your inner mom, your inner dad, is the unconscious padded recognition of the road to violence so you can get off that road before the violence hits. And that's the anxiety you feel when you are going to confront people, right? Now, because I've dealt with that, I can confront people. I just did it this afternoon in a clubhouse chat where one guy was saying that Bitcoin was political. It's like, no, it's not, <laughs> right? Because I've dealt with that. And if my inner mom is not saying, because when you reject your inner mom, these the screams don't stop from your inner mom, danger, 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 because she can't see. She can't see, right? Yeah, you, you ever do this? I'm sure you do, right? Like you've had to go through a room in pitch black for whatever reason, I guess with cell phones now, people don't have to, you got to go through it. You go very slowly because you can't see. So you go very slowly. So if you lock away the parts of you that are there to protect you from abusers, they're constantly screaming because they can't see. You imagine driving blindfold. <laughs> You'd be screaming the whole time because you can't see. So if you hide them away and you lock them up because you disapprove of them, then they're bad and they're negative and they make you a coward and you don't like them and so on, right? then they're just going to keep screaming because they can't see, they, they don't know how to warn you, and then you have this perpetual state of anxiety. And the fight-or-flight mechanism never cools down in the same way that if you're driving blindfold, you can't relax because you're in danger, you can't see. So if you suppress parts of yourself, as we all tempted to, right? And trust me, the powers that be want to suppress, want us to suppress parts of ourselves, particularly those parts which challenge authority that are self-actualized, that are independent, that are unique. So if you suppress parts of yourself, you're just driving half blindfolded or with, you know, maybe seeing through a few of your fingers, but it's really risky and really dangerous. You feel a continual state of anxiety. And then, then what happens is because you've shut down parts of yourself that are there to warn you of danger and evil, you're in a state of continual anxiety, and then what you do is you say, well, I guess I'm just a coward. I guess I'm just an anxious person. I guess I'm just high strung. No. 
if you take your hands away from your eyes, you can drive and relax. If you allow yourself to see, if you bring every one of your eyeballs to your eyes, if you bring everyone to the table to negotiate, you gain an incredible power. It's superhuman power. It, it, it looks like superhero power to other people. I try when faced with conflict, hostility, abuse, slander, to get everyone in me at the table and say, well, what do we do about this? What do we want to do about this? What's our plan? Everyone's, everyone's, I want everyone's input. In a mom, what do you say? In a dad, what do you say? In a sibling, what do you say? In a whatever, right? And I talk to the people in my life as well, of course, not just, right? But, and it may take a little while. There's a lot of back and forth. This is what I learned in therapy. I wrote this journals, 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 arguments, 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 how to live, how to live, how to live. I have like uh, 12, I think I have 12 or 13 different characters, all with their own names and histories, some of a different gender. <laughs> it was wild. It was wild. Uh, Stefan, I feel like those who do not let people speak at the table are dragging us down as a species. Oh. It's more of a thought than a feeling, but yeah. All right. I hope that helps. My sister recently asked me, after I expressed my opinion on George Floyd to be neutral on the issue, basically told me not to speak. Sure. Sure. Um, it is often the feminine that drives censorship. She's not always there to help you, right? Yes, she is always there to help me. She is always there to help me. There is no part of myself that wishes me dead. Right? So, without a doubt... My mother wished me dead at times. Uh, she would scream at the top of her lungs, I effing hate these kids, and, you know, just, just wished me dead and gone. And there are certainly people in the world who wish me dead, no question. Because when I empower people to confront their own abusers, the abusers, they don't like that. Of course they don't, right? People who've raped, assaulted, uh, neglected, uh, abused their children, they don't like it when I say, yeah, you have every right to be outraged and you should go and talk to them about it, if it's safe. mind. Conscious mind is like the post-monkey beta expansion pack, and this is like the original operating system of the gods. So you've got these instincts, you've got these deep thoughts, this connection with reality. You can't talk your unconscious into or out of anything. You can talk your conscious mind into or out of anything. You could be pro propagandized and, and programmed and so on, and, and your conscious mind has great power, but it's easily swayed. But the unconscious has deep power and can't be swayed, which is why separating you from your unconscious is the primary goal of the powers that be. If you, if you can get separated from your unconscious, then you're easy to control and easy to program. And if you stay in touch with your unconscious, you are profoundly anti-totalitarian because you can't be controlled, you can't be manipulated in the same way. The conscious mind is both philosophy and sophistry, but the deepest philosophy in terms of how we process reality. All my philosophy comes from empiricism, and empiricism comes through the unconscious. It's not me who's in charge of how my eyes work or my ears work. That's the unconscious. That's the autonomic nervous system. That's the senses. The senses that give me philosophy are not run by the conscious mind. The conscious mind is like this flea on the hat of the monkey that's on the back of the elephant, that's on the back of the turtle, that's on the back of the dinosaur, that's on the back of the single-celled organism way down. And negotiating 
with your unconscious. I called it the Miko system. Like, this is what I went through in therapy. I was at war with myself. I was at war with myself. The philosophy that had come to me from the evidence of the senses, the philosophy that had come up to me from my unconscious, was in battle with my conscious mind that wanted things to be different. And you cannot have the conscious mind dictate and dominate the unconscious mind. Otherwise, you end up shallow and neurotic and untrustworthy, and you're wavering all the time. You can be talked into just about, talked into or out of just about anything, and you've got no stability, no basis. You're a brain and a tank blown in the wind. On the other hand, if you let your life, they don't, they, they would rather me be dead than have those conversations. I get that. I mean, I understand that. I'm, I view that as simply the price of philosophy, the price of the truth. So there would be then, by this logic, I would have to internalize the people who want me dead into myself, right? So I'd have to have inner, once deaf dead aspects of my personality. Not because I, that personality then wants me dead, it's because it doesn't want me dead. So it needs to have me steer up to the edge of where I'm going to get, you know, killed and, you know, <laughs> pull back from that. I don't mean to laugh, right? But you know, it's this old Seinfeld joke where he says, uh, maximum strength Tylenol. It's like, what is maximum strength? It's that, okay, find out what dose is going to kill me and then just back it up a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. Well, that's it, right? I have to internalize the personalities of those who want me dead so that I can navigate people who want me dead without getting killed. I mean, if I don't have that, I'm either not going to act at all or I'm going to act in purely self-destructive ways that could get me killed. What does your inner mother do for you today? Well, um, the crazy people are not out of my life. I mean, they're out of my personal life. But as long as I keep doing this, you know, I just had a conversation with a troll uh, who abused me uh, just terribly uh, in public and, you know, deplatform mandates and all of this kind of stuff I just had. So, you know, those people are still in my life. And I still do of course, have dysfunctional people in my life through the conversations I have with my listeners when they talk about their dysfunctional family. So I need the people who, the people within me who can identify the dysfunction and, and manage it and deal with it and negotiate with it because I'm still doing this, uh, these conversations. And that, of course, is the big uh, question, which is, do I keep doing these conversations? Uh, I think because I have these kinds of ninja skills of self-knowledge, I don't really see anyone else who can, honestly. And there is just kind of a responsibility around, around that, that if you can, um, if you have a unique ability to help people in the world, what is your responsibility to do it? Well, not to the point of self-destruction, of course, right? But you should do it to the point where you can actually help people if it's not too costly for you. And I don't find that it is. Okay, I'll, I'll leave you the link there for the troll question. You should really, really watch that. All right, what do we got here? You're punching me in the gut. Old wounds hurt. But the old wounds hurting is there to prevent you from the new wounds forming. Right? The old wounds hurting are there to prevent you from the new wounds forming. Do not reject the pain. You've got to embrace the pain as something which is there to keep you safe. Right? I mean, if you have a toothache and you just take painkillers, your toothache's just going to get worse and worse and worse until you could die, right? 
Let's see here. My inner father needs to prompt me to take more risk. <laughs> That's interesting. My inner mom does not exist. If you had a mother, she does. And if you didn't, then the absence of a mother is your inner mother. The voice of self-doubt and self-hate inside my inner thoughts is my inner mother. No. I'm sorry to be annoying. I want to really correct you on this. In my, again, it's just my, obviously, my amateur opinion. So, you know, take this all with a grain of salt. But no, no, no. The voice of self-doubt and self-hate, that's not your inner mother. Your inner mother doesn't hate you. Your inner mother is there to preserve your self-respect and give you self-confidence. And I'll tell you how. I guarantee you, and of course, you can totally contradict me if I'm wrong. It's your life, so it's just my opinion. But if you express confidence, like when you were a kid, this is to tech priest. So when you were a kid, if you expressed joy, confidence, self-assuredness, security, happiness, all of that, you would get attacked by your mom. So your inner mother says, oh, man, we got to gnaw at our fingernails and we've got to be really uncertain and we've got to walk around shrug, you know, shoulders up, uh, staring at the floor, and we've got to be, look depressed because the moment we're happy, we get attacked and possibly killed. And so it's not a voice like, oh, it's real self-doubt and real self-hate. It's the voice, your inner mother saw your external mother who attacked violently any expressions of confidence and happiness and said, we can't do that because we're going to get killed. So we have to have self-doubt and self-hate in order to survive. And then the whole point of that is to get away from people like that so that your inner mother doesn't have, for the rest of her life, a job of keeping these people at bay. My inner mother... <laughs> My inner mother says she wants some redistributed lemons. Well, thank you for the reminder. I will absolutely do that. And let me not do that later, but let me rather do that right now. Uh, here we go. All right, so let's throw out a lot here. There you go, 5,000 lemons. Not all crocodiles are like that. Yeah, sure, you know, in Florida, if your croc has a big meal, it doesn't need to eat for up to a year. But you don't know when he had his last meal, so... Um, I spent a lot of time obeying my parents. Now it's difficult for me to disobey authority figures, even bad ones. Right. So uh, this is a little bit of the trick, right? So a, a security guard doesn't want you to be in a state of perfect security. This is one of the challenges with your inner mom, your inner dad. Your inner mom gains a sense of power and efficacy by protecting you from an outer mom. And therefore, in the absence of an outer mom, there's a certain amount of, well, what do I do? What, I got fired. And so there's a certain amount of anxiety in getting it. But you've got to try and get that energy back into yourself, right? I hope this makes some kind of... The soldier who's been at war for 10 years is going to miss the war like hell, in a way, right? And a lot of people do look back and say, oh, it's the best time of my life or whatever. They don't end up as Roger Waters' dad or whatever, right? But so there is a certain amount of tension when the eternal guard against your external mom, called your inner mom, when you get away from abusive people, the parts of you that were there to defend you against the abuse are a little bit at sixes and sevens. But, but, in conscious dominate with no interference from your conscious mind, then you become an amoral, instinctive animal questing for resources, right? So it's the Stanley Kowalski, Blanche Dubois thing. Blanche Dubois is like a head without a body and Stanley Kowalski is like a body without a head. And this negotiation between the highest faculties of consciousness and the deepest aspects of existence, between the new 
and the battle tested. The unconscious is battle tested. The unconscious gives you your fight or flight. The unconscious wakes you up if there's a, a, a movement in the room. The unconscious is constantly scanning the peripheral vision for danger. The unconscious is integrating information that your conscious mind has barely even noticed and then presenting it to you in dreams that are supposed to instruct you on the right path to wisdom. We carry the deep knowledge of five billion years with us. I didn't invent the kidney. I didn't invent the legs. I didn't invent the unconscious. And I'm a tiny outcropping. The, the, the top part of my brain, the, the conscious me part, is a tiny outcropping of a much deeper system that is not just in the head, but all the way down to the gut. You know, you've got a gut feeling. You know, you've got a second brain in your gut, which is sometimes can be as complicated and as powerful as your unconscious mind. And the unconscious mind has been clocked at over 8,000 times faster than conscious mind in certain situations. It's hyperspace, man. It's a GPU. So I would say, and I believe this, and this is the complexity of the mind that is just amazing to me and, and the deepest and most powerful part of philosophy in many ways. I think my unconscious mind said, we got to go through the fire. We've got to rid ourselves of our fear of love, a fear of attachment. We've got to separate attachment and fear. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to switch on this unbelievable yearning for this woman who is going to reject us. And you got to invest in this. She's not going to, if you tell them that, stand down, there's no, there's no need. You can be there to be alert for me. If I come across people who are like them, please let me know. And then what happens is you get this amazing amount of creative energy that comes out of that because you're not constantly tense and guarding against uh, intruders who never come, right? If that makes sense. I mean, this is why I have the energy for all these shows and can write books and, and uh, all of that, so... I think I learned to censor myself at home because my parents were big on authority. Therefore, I have learned to fear authority. Oh, Frank, that's, again, I'm sorry to be so annoying, but this is a terrible way of putting it. It's very insulting. You learned to censor yourself at home? No. No. Um, abuse was inflicted upon you when you didn't censor yourself. You were punished for self-expression. That's not learning to censor yourself, if that makes sense, right? The day, what have we got here? Oh, lost that. Let me bring it back. Always frame your history in that which is the most sympathetic to yourself as a kid. As an adult, you can be more strict, but as a kid, you got to frame your narrative about yourself with the most possible sympathy. The reason I told the story about Sally was that the relationship was relatively easy to end but virtually impossible. And in fact, it became impossible to restart. Ending it, pretty easy. Pretty easy. Restarting it, a lot of work. And it failed. So the reason that I wanted to tell the story of Sally is it's the economy. It's the economy in the West, economy in America, in Canada, England, France, Belgium, Germany. It's pretty easy to stop the economy. It's pretty easy to end the economic relationships. Oh, I ended the relationship. 
So when people are working away, you get into this groove, you get into this rhythm, right? It's just what happens with people. And your life gets a little bit hypnotic, right? Day in, day out, same thing, same thing, same thing. Sorry, Squire, the record's stuck. Sorry, Squire, the record's stuck. And you get this Groundhog Day thing that's going on in your life, right? And when there's a break in routine and there's a break in rhythm, you get to reevaluate your life as a whole, right? You get to reevaluate whether you're happy, whether you're with the right person. And a lot of people have been doing this, of course, over the course of the pandemic. A lot of people have been reevaluating all of those relationships. Am I happy in my job? Am I happy with this person now that I'm stuck with them for 12 hours? Like, am I, am I content with my life? You get a zoom out. You know, when I had cancer some years ago, I got the zoom out. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> Does this mean that stuff fucked the economy? <laughs> I could have saved it. But um, that's funny. Michael Malice says that this pandemic gave authorities data on what they could push. Eh, Michael Malice, who cares? So what does your inner Twitter, what does your inner YouTube and Twitter staff say? No, because I'm not repressed. I understand people who are repressed and who don't want any outer allies to their inner rebellions. They don't want that, right? So people are out of the habit of work. They're out of the habit of socializing. And they've been sitting on these stimmy checks, 500 bucks a week or more. So they've lost skills, they've become inert, they've gained weight, they've lost health, they've lost time, they've lost their work ethic. And how the hell are you going to get this started again? You know, it's a lot easier to hit a truck with an RPG than it is to fix the engine and get it going again. So how are we going to get this thing going again? And, and this, that's nothing. So think of, uh, hit, hit me with a why if you know any restaurant owners. If you know any restaurant owners, because if you do know any restaurant owners, my God, have they ever had a hell of a pandemic, right? It's been horrible. Absolutely, completely and monstrously Ghastly for them. Because you don't know how long to hold on for. You don't know when it's going to end. There's no certainty. Uh, it could just go on forever. It could be starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And they have to let people go. Right? They have to let the cooks go and waiters go. And they have to let people go because they can't pay them because they're not getting any income from the restaurants. The restaurant is shut. Particularly in Canada. It's, oh, well, you can have uh, eat outside. It's like not in January. You can't. So these guys go home, right? The, the, the waiter goes home, the, the cook goes home, the busboy goes home, and then they sit on their stimmy checks. And they get fat and lazy. And stupid, frankly, because lack of movement, lack of ambition, lack of energy, you just mentally get torpid, get slow, like an old fish tank. So then what happens is maybe business picks up a little bit, and they're like, oh, okay, I mean, can I... Can I get this thing started up again. And maybe you call these guys, say, I need you to come in, you know, at least two days a week or whatever. And they're like, nah, forget it. I don't want to come back in. I mean, I don't want to come back in. They're just going to cut it out of my stimmy check and I'm not working for a buck an hour when all is said and done. Like, it's just not worth it. I don't really like the job. So, nah, it's not. No thanks, right? Oh, God. Oh, God. What are you going to do? 
You can't get workers. Every month you roll further and further into debt because you've still got your rent to pay. You still got your, it's not like property taxes were suspended for small businesses because of the pandemic, so the government can order you to shut down. But they're still going to keep charging you. All that property tax. So it's tortured, and a lot of small, medium businesses have just gone tits up, right? They've just failed completely. Done. They're done. Now, they reject us right away because she cares about us too. And we had a pretty good relationship. She's not going to reject us right away. Because if, if she, you, know, you say, I want to get back together, and she's like, don't ever call me again, then you'll be over it in a couple of days because you haven't invested that much into trying to get her back. So it had to be someone. My unconscious had to scan and scan and scan and find someone who wasn't going to reject me right away, which was going to cause me to invest and invest and really extend myself into trying to get someone to be with me but somebody who was going to, after all that investment, say no. And that was the self-inoculation and the separation of love and fear. So I think sometimes I'm in charge. Sometimes my unconscious is in charge. And the only way, I think, to really navigate this stuff is every part of you is your fucking friend. (laughs) Every part of you is your friend. The parts you don't like, the parts you're ashamed of, the parts you're embarrassed about, the parts that bother you, the parts that drive you crazy where you feel you're too scared or too cowardly or too angry, or every single part of you is there to help and serve your flourishing. Not just your survival, but your flourishing. I mean, there's no organ in your body that's trying to kill you, right? Every organ in your body is there to help you live. It's the same thing with every aspect of your personality. Every part of you, every single part of you is there to help you live. And what we do is we get all tyrannical within ourselves, right? And we say, well, these parts are the good parts of me. And I like these parts of me. These parts of me are the bad parts of me. And I must control or reject those parts of me. But everything that is within you is designed to help you survive and flourish if you let it. But what you have to do, and this is a hard thing to do, what you have to do is when you're in negotiation with yourself, you can't censor, you can't silence, you can't deplatform. It's pretty hard to restart things. That's why I was talking about Sally. Easy to end. Turned out to be impossible to restart. That's what I was thinking about today when I was trying to think about how to approach this. Because I want to give you a nice visceral thing if you've not been an entrepreneur. Now, I've had to restart and reinvent a whole bunch of times, and I'm at peace with my inner ecosystem for the most part, and so I have this geyser of energy and, and psychological integration that works pretty well, so I can pick myself up, dust myself off, and get going again. But a lot of people can't. Maybe they don't love their job as much. Um, maybe there's been way too much stress and anxiety or whatever. But those businesses that have gone out, What's going to happen? People aren't going to start those businesses up again, especially not now with UBI coming up on the horizon. Small to medium businesses have been absolutely hammered over the pandemic, and many of them have failed. Anybody got a number? Anybody got a number? Panda Express was offering 60000 a year to store managers. Yeah. I went to a restaurant, and the owners had to cook, wait the table, and bus as everyone is staying home collecting checks. Sure. 
It can be hard to come back to work after a week-long vacation. I can't imagine how hard it is to be off work for months. Yes. Yes, that is... That is rough. That is really rough. 75% of small businesses in California failed. Is that right? Restaurants? Oh, 75% of restaurants in California failed? Yeah. You can't get the workers back. And you're depressed and you're anxious and you're in debt and you're frustrated. And you can't be the genial, happy glass of wine restaurant manager that welcomes people to the place. And that's just restaurants. Hotels. Resorts. Cruise lines, all the tourism industry, airlines, everything that services airlines, maids, weights, I mean, everything. 60%, Yelp data shows 60% of business closures due to the coronavirus pandemics are now permanent as of December 2020. Well, worse than that now, it's like over five months ago, right? I work in the beer industry, we haven't stopped or slowed down now. People working from home, I'm sure they're cracking a cold one if they're addicted even more. So you can't, you can't just restart this thing. It is not an, there's no on-off switch, but there's an off switch for the economy. There's no on switch to the economy. Like this, it's easy to break someone's heart. Easy, just date them and cheat on them or date them and, you know, whatever, yell at them. Easy to break someone's heart. It's hard to get someone to love you on a consistent basis. Will this past stream be up everywhere? Yeah, everyone asks us. Yeah, I publish all these. And uh, you can also find it uh, on the history, right, of this show. Yeah, they let everyone loot their businesses, provide no police protection, and increase their taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lack of exercise and excessive weight is really bad for you if you get COVID. So let's lock everyone away from gyms and have them feed like crazy. I work at McDonald's. We haven't stopped or slowed either. I've been in management for nine years. This is the hardest it's been to hire people. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's brutal, right? And, and so you can say, well, we're just going to raise our rates now. Raising wages, yeah, okay, that will certainly, but you've got to raise them a hell of a lot to compete with working for nothing. Like working for, for stimmy checks, right? Because you're competing against the baseline of 2000 or more dollars a month for, for no work. McDonald's is offering you 50 bucks just to show up to an interview. I've seen that kind of stuff as well. A friend of mine uh, in the States was just telling me the other day that, you know, everywhere he goes is desperately sign wanted, help wanted, help wanted, sign will help wanted. Purpose of taxes is to provide protection. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. So I'm going to just close with this. I'll take a couple more cues, but we've gone almost two hours. I'll close with this, right? So the whole purpose, uh, I'm, I'm like the high beams, right? I'm, I'm the high beams. So you can drive blindfolded. Don't do that. You can drive with your lights off. Don't do that. You can drive with your lights down, like in the country, in the, right? So I'm the high beams guy, right? So I'm going to just show you what the hell's down the road. I'm the guy who I believe I'm going to give you the, the longest possible view, which is why I was into Bitcoin in 2011 or whenever it was, right? And why I told you, I told you within a week of hearing about COVID, this was going to be a huge deal and you better prepare. So, yeah, I'm pretty good. Pretty good track record. So I'm telling you guys, 
So right now, people are just waiting for the economy to restart. Well, you know, we've, we've told everyone they can go back to work. We've, and of course, a lot of women are like, you know what, it's actually kind of nice being home with my kids and they're happier for it too. And so a lot of women aren't coming back to the workforce. You know, good for the kids if they have kids, right? It's fantastic for the kids. So right now, everybody's waiting for a return to normal. And that's what the investment community is waiting for. And that's what uh, the business community is waiting for. And everyone's just saying, okay, well, you know, we've, we've had 14 months of people staying home doing nothing. And we've been scaring the living shit out of them with endless fear porn about long haulers and glass lungs. And <laughs> I mean, I didn't laugh, right? I mean, imagine Steph racing down a country road in a convertible, blaring 80s tunes. <laughs> I remember way back when I was in the business world, like 20, 25 years ago, I had to drive down to the States with a guy from China who worked for me. And uh, I had a British passport. He had a Chinese passport. And we were going to do business in the States. Quite an exciting border crossing, let me tell you that. Very, very exciting. So, so yeah, every, everybody's got this expectation that, you know, we, we, well, the switch has been off. We're going to turn the switch back on. But the car won't start. That's the problem, right? Right? You drove out someplace to go ice fishing and tire parts of yourself. I mean, you can, but you're fucked if you do because then you're missing. It's like going into a boxing ring saying, okay, I'm only going to use my left hand, not my right, because my right hand is bad, but my left hand is good. It's like, no, you need both of them in the battle of life. You need every part of you in the battle for life, battle for flourishing, and the battle for dominance in the social sphere. Censorship in society first arises in censorship of the self. Now it's nighttime, and it's like, well, I turned the car off. I'm just going to take my ice fishing stuff. Man, I'm cold as a witch's tit out here. I'm going to get into the car and warm up, and the car doesn't turn on. Kind of fucked now, aren't you? There is no on switch. And the world is waiting to figure that out. The world is just waiting. Or we're waiting for the world to figure that out. You know, you, you get a car that won't start. And just keep trying, keep trying. And eventually you're like, oh my God. Right? So when it comes to Bitcoin, yeah, Bitcoin's down. Because I was talking about self-knowledge. Uh, Bitcoin went down even more. So, yeah, Bitcoin's down because, because people are like, well, you know, the economy is going to do its thing and it's going to start back up and all of that. Now, at some point, right, at some point, people are going to be like, uh, you know what? Um, I turn the engine, but the engine doesn't turn. What's that one headlight, right? Red Barchetta by Rush, which is actually one of my well, the only songs I like by, by Rush. I like high voices as a whole, like Sting and John Anderson, but uh, I couldn't quite get into the Getty Lee. UBI is basically guaranteed at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, people, um, the other thing too, like if you had a job and you're in your 50s and you got kind of laid off through COVID and you've been home on Stimmy, you're just going to roll it into your retirement. You're not coming back to work. That's a lot of experience and knowledge that's just eaten out of the uh, the workforce. So yeah, people are just like, hey, let's restart this mother, right? And you know, and they just keep trying it right now and everyone's poised and waiting. So once people figure out that there's no good on button again for the economy. Wow. A potted fern could have taken over the country and done nothing in the post-COVID economy come back. Only Biden could screw it up. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, I'm not a fan of Biden, but 
it's bigger than him. It's bigger than him. So, yeah, 3800 bucks a month in direct payments to people with enough kids. Yeah, it's all backed all UBI. Yeah, they... The UBI. So, the, and of course, what they want to do is they want to say, well, capitalism has failed, right? The free market has failed. All that we did was authoritarianly shut down the entire economy for a not so fatal <laughs> coronavirus after we failed to protect you by leaving the borders open. Uh, even after China had closed their own internal travel, they let 5 million people travel out to the world. And it wasn't stopped, right? So, is there a chance to push start this engine? Here's the other thing, too. So the smartest people tend to be counterculture, right? Whatever counterculture it tends to be, right? And right now, woke is the dominant culture and political correctness is the dominant culture. And the smartest people are those who question authority. The smartest people are those who push back against propaganda. The smartest people are those who think for themselves. How much fun is it to think for yourself in a modern woke corporation? to attend endless whites or bad diversity training sessions and to not bring any science or facts or reason on evidence as James Damore tried with Google. How much fun is it to be a smart person in a modern corporation and now you've been out of the workforce? Maybe you've got a side hustle going. Maybe you've decided to uh, give it up. Maybe you've decided to travel. Maybe you're back home with your parents. But if you're a smart person, going into the modern woke workforce is like having uh, your own feet fed to you on a daily basis. And now you've been away from it for a while. Do you want to go back? You feel like going back to work at Pepsi or Nike or you got to go and kneel before a picture of Colin Kaepernick every morning and damn your... Right. I don't see UBI overall. How long do you think we go full UBI? 20 years? Oh, God, no. Oh, the system can't last 20 years. Are you kidding me? Think of yourself in a large corporation gets you fired or your career growth stunted, speaking from experience. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's rough. It's rough uh, in the uh, corporate world these days. I'm Hispanic, but I'm afraid to work in the professional force because I'm very vocal about pushing against the white guilt narrative. Well, I appreciate that, my brother. I really do. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And uh, when I hear anybody trash talk Hispanics, I push back against that as well because we all got to watch out for each other, right? But uh, yeah, the white guilt stuff is just rash, right? I work in modern corporations throughout this and the inclusion and diversity propaganda is continuous. Yeah, it is. Uh, it could barely last 10, yeah. How comfortable is UBI living going to be? Well, it's going to trap you in, in an underclass, right? That's the whole purpose, right? Create the proletariat if you... Because the Marxist theory says they have to be proletariat, and since capitalism doesn't deliver it, you've got to make it, right? Am I wrong for feeling grief when my abusive father gets ill? What should I do to stop that feeling? I guess you weren't here for the earlier part. You absorb and accept that feeling. Why wouldn't you feel grief when your abusive father gets ill? I'm very sad that my mother is lonely and isolated and crazy, and yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. Didn't you get into Ayn Rand because of Rush? Yeah, and although I've seen Rush two or three times live, I was never a big Rush fan. And um, there's only so many drum solos you can take before you just want to beat yourself to death, so to speak. So, I, I, no, I got into Ayn Rand because a friend of mine was into Rush. I was more into Pink Floyd at the time. So, let's see here. Isn't diversity in the workplace an old commie tactic so that workers can't come together? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I do tech for Facebook. The culture is horrible, I bet. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very aggressive, and it's a psychotic culture, I think, in many of these places. 
Even in medicine, there are tons of articles about diversity and how unfair the medical system is to people of color. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's... Uh, the witch hunt is, uh, you know, crazy. Lots of irony. The institutional racism turned out to be anti-white and to some extent anti-Asian. Yeah, and you can see the anti-Semitism, right? It's the high IQ groups. I mean, let's see. You have sent me the dream. I have not looked at it yet. I do remember it, and I've got it marked to look at. Uh, let's see here. Can you recap the nihilism and the uncle example? No. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Well, sorry. Okay, no, maybe I didn't quite finish it because we got interrupted. So... If your family says that you've got to tell the truth, you've got to stand up for what you believe in and that they're there to help you and that they don't, you know, that they're strong people and courageous people and all this tough talk and then you try to get an uh, alcoholic uncle to stop drinking at a family gathering and everyone sides with the uncle and punishes you, that's where the nihilism comes in. IQ-phobic, yeah, very much, very much. Well, unfortunately, IQ denial is just massively profitable. IQ denial is massively profitable and uh, you really, really tough to fight that. Used to work for Twitter. Some people will listen to reason, but they are quickly shouted down and undermined. Yeah, well, you know, there's a small percentage. like psychopaths are like, what, a couple of percent of the population, like one or two percent of the population. But unfortunately, they're just through the power of the state. They're just getting, um, getting more and more power. And uh, that increases until people push back. And it's a very, very uh, difficult and dangerous thing to do. All right, 904. I think we are, uh, we're doing all right. Uh, thank you for a wonderful evening. I'm sorry we didn't get to voice chat, but uh, I know that I really wanted, I guess it came up and I was really passionate to talk about the self-knowledge stuff, which has been a long time since I talked about it. So you can look back for Miko System, uh, fdrpodcast.com. I'm also going to, I'm working with a, a really good coder to find better ways to get back at the old podcast and see what you can find because there's really cool stuff in there. One or two percent of the USA is three to six million people. Yeah. Yep, for sure. All right, so uh, thanks, everyone. Freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show if you would like to. I would certainly appreciate it if you would. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. And uh, such a great honor and a privilege and a pleasure to chat with you tonight and um, have yourself a wonderful week. When's the next Bitcoin show? Uh, you know, just follow me. Freedomain.com forward slash connect. Just follow me on social media. I post all of that sort of stuff as well. And yeah, every Wednesday, 7 p.m. for sure, uh, every Friday night at, um, at 7 p.m. I do a call-in show. So uh, yeah, lots of love from up here. Have a wonderful afternoon slash evening slash morning or wherever the hell you are. <laughs> and, uh, take care. I'll talk to you soon.